0: Chapter Thirteen of the Little Colonel's Holidays. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. The Little Colonel's Holidays by Annie Fellows Johnston. Chapter Thirteen The Day After Thanksgiving there you are ready at last said mrs sherman as she finished buttoning lloyd's gloves and fastened the jewel clasp of her long party cloak she had come over to help the little colonel dress for the butterfly luncheon at anna moore's feeling very elegant in her unusual party array lloyd surveyed herself in the mirror with a satisfied air and sat down beside allison to wait for the carriage that mrs moore had promised to send for them Mrs. Walton was tying Kitty's sash, and in the next room Elise was buzzing around like an excited little bee. Hold still, do now, they heard Millie say impatiently, I'll never get the tangles brushed out of your curls, and the others will go off and leave you, and you'll have to miss the party. Presently there was a long protesting wail from Elise. Oh, Millie, what? Did you put that ribbon on my hair for it isn't pink enough to match my stockings there's scarcely any difference at all in the shades answered milly sure it would take a microscope to tell even if they were side by side and your head is too far away from your heels for anybody to notice oh but it won't do at all cried elise breaking away from her to run into the next room "'See, mamma, they don't match.' In her eagerness Elise leaned over, bending herself like a little acrobat, till the pink bow on her hair was on a level with the pink silk stockings. "'There's barely a shade difference,' laughed Mrs. Walton. "'The difference is so slight that nobody will notice it unless you expect to double up occasionally, like a jackknife, and call attention to it of course i don't expect to do that said elise with such a funny little air of injured dignity that her mother caught her up with a hasty kiss you're a dear little peacock even if you do think too much of your fine feathers but you can't stop to make a fuss about your ribbons now it would be making a mountain out of a molehill run back to milly for your hat i hear the carriage stopping out in front what a lot of things i'll have to write about in my next letter to the girls thought lloyd as they rolled along in the carriage a few minutes later joyce and betty will like to hear about the general's home and all the interesting things in it and eugenia will enjoy this part of my visit most it was with a view to impressing eugenia with the elegance of her friends that lloyd noticed every detail of the beautiful luncheon she intended that eugenia should hear about it all gay butterflies so lifelike that one could not believe that human hands had made them were poised everywhere on the flowers the candle shades, the curtains the menu cards were decorated with them the fine hand-painted china bore swarms of them around their dainty rims and even the ices were moulded to represent them the little hostess herself fluttering around among her guests as gracefully as if she too were a winged creature wore a gauzy dress of palest blue embroidered in butterflies and there were butterflies caught here and there in her golden curls the little colonel could scarcely eat for admiring her she felt very elegant and grown up to be the guest at such an entertainment and as she took her place at the table between malcolm and rob she wished with all her heart that eugenia could peep in and see her it was time to start to the butterfly carnival almost immediately when luncheon was over and again lloyd felt very elegant and grown up rolling along in the carriage to the matinee mrs moore ushered the party into the box she had taken for anna and her little friends and more than one person in the audience turned to ask his neighbor who are those lovely children did you ever see such handsome boys they have such charming manners it is like a scene from some old court play the little colonel sitting beside anna with the two little knights leaning forward to talk to her to pick up her fan or adjust her longette, was all unconscious that any one in the audience was watching her admiringly but she wished again that Eugenia could see her. When the curtain went up, the scene on the stage was so absorbing that she forgot Eugenia. She forgot where she was, for the play carried her bodily into fairyland. The queen of the fairies was there with her star-tipped wand and all her spangled court, and Lloyd looked and listened with breathless attention while the naughty puck played pranks on all the butterflies and finally catching them at play in a moonlighted forest took all the gauzy-winged creatures captive it was as entrancing as looking into a living fairy tale and when at last the queen released the prisoners with a wave of her star-tipped wand and to the soft notes of the violins the butterflies danced off the stage lloyd drew a long breath and came down to earth with a sigh she could have listened gladly for hours more but the curtain was down the people were rising all over the house and keith was holding her party cloak for her to slip into mrs moore turned to allison elise is wild to see behind the scenes she said i'm going to keep her with me a little while your cousin malcolm says that he and keith can take you home in their carriage with lloyd and kitty so i'll send anna and rob home in mine and wait here until it comes back tell your mother i'll take good care of elise and bring her home as soon as i attend to my little protégé's behind the scene many of the children who had taken part in the performance were from the free kindergarten and elise holding fast to mrs moore's hand watched the transformation behind the scenes from gauzy wings to gingham gowns with wondering eyes it is like when cinderella lost her glass slipper she said the clock struck twelve and her silks turned to rags all the glitter and glory of fairyland had disappeared with the footlights in the wintry light of the late afternoon some of the faces were pitifully thin and wan here are three little butterflies that must go back home and be grubs again said mrs moore as she beckoned to the children whom she had promised to take home in her carriage elise looked at them wondering if it could be possible that they were the same children who fifteen minutes before had looked so radiantly beautiful in their spangled costumes on the stage they were shy little things who could scarcely find words to answer mrs moore's questions but they seemed to enjoy the drive in the warm closed carriage behind the team of prancing bays elise chatted on gaily telling mrs moore how much she had enjoyed the carnival how she had admired the fairy queen and how she longed for a real live fairy she had looked for them often in the morning-glories and the lily-bells if she could find one maybe it would tell her where to look for dot presently they turned into a side street among unfamiliar tenement houses and paused at an alley entrance. I am going to the top of the stairs with the children, said Mrs. Moore, preparing to step out of the carriage. I want to inquire about the baby who is sick. I'll be back in a moment, Elise. As the carriage door closed behind her, she spoke to the coachman. Wait here a moment, Dixon. The man on the box touched his hat and then turned his fur collar higher around his ears. There was a cold wind whistling through the alley. Elise pressed her face against the glass and looked out into the wintry street. Mrs. Moore's moment stretched out into five. The baby upstairs was worse, and she was making a list of the many things it needed for its comfort. There was little of interest to watch from the carriage window. Few people were passing along the narrow pavement, and Elise wondered impatiently why Mrs. Moore did not come presently down the street came a ragged child with its arm held up over its eyes sobbing and sniffling as it shuffled along in a pair of worn-out shoes many sizes too large for its little feet elise's heart gave a great thump and she started forward eagerly molly's little lost sister she exclaimed aloud it must be for she looks just like the girl in the picture oh i must call her she was fumbling at the knob of the carriage door but before she could get it open the child turned and started up the dirty alley still sobbing aloud with her arm over her face oh i must call her back thought elise everybody will be so glad if she is found i mustn't let her get away it took all her strength to turn the knob but with another desperate wrench she got the door open and climbed out to the pavement. The coachman, half asleep in his great fur-collar and heavy lap-robes, did not hear the tap of the little pink boots, as she ran up the dark alley between the high rickety buildings, with their bad smells and dirty sewers. "'Oh, she's going so fast!' panted Elise. "'I'll never catch up with her!' The pretty pink boots were wet and snowy now, the silk stockings splashed with muddy water, her big velvet hat was tipped over one eye, and her curls were blowing in tangles over the wide collar of her fur trimmed cloak. But forgetting all about her fine feathers, she ran on, around corners, into strange passages, across unfamiliar streets, following the flutter of a tattered gown. All of a sudden she paused, looking around in bewilderment. The child she was following had disappeared. With a bitter sense of disappointment swelling in her little heart, she turned to go back to the carriage, and then stood still in bewilderment. She could not tell which way she had come. She was lost herself. For a few minutes the little pink boots trudged bravely on, then the tears began to gather in her big black eyes they'll feel so bad at home she thought when they hunt and hunt and can't find me anywhere oh what if i'd stay lost and get to look all ragged and dirty like dot and just have to stand in a corner and cry if there was any nice stores along here i'd go in and ask the man to send me home but these places look so dreadful i'm afraid she was in a disreputable part of the town where second-hand clothing stores and pawnshops were crowded in between saloons and cheap restaurants and she dared not venture into any of them to ask for help little as she was she felt that she was safer on the streets than inside those crowded dirty quarters where half-drunken negroes and coarse brawling white men quarrelled and swore in loud tones it's the saloons that brought all the trouble to molly and dot thought elise shrinking away from a group of noisy loafers as they straggled out of one they made their father mean and their mother die and their grandmother go crazy and them lose each other they're worse than wild beasts and i'm afraid of them maybe if i walk far enough i'll come to a nice policeman but i'm so tired now her lip quivered as she whispered the words oh it seems as if i would drop and i'm so cold i'm nearly frozen as she walked on across her way an electric arch suddenly shot its cold white light into the street then another and another appeared and as far as she could see in any direction the streets were brilliantly illuminated oh it's night she sobbed i'll freeze to death before morning if somebody doesn't come and find me still she dragged on growing more tired and frightened at every step until she could walk no longer at the end of a long block she sat down on a doorstep and huddled up in one corner out of the wind a dismal picture came to her mind of the little match-seller in hans anderson's fairy tales the little match-seller who had frozen to death on christmas eve on the threshold of somebody's happy home she had a box of matches to warm herself with sobbed elise i haven't even that oh it's awful to be lost with the tears trickling down her face she pictured to herself the grief of the family "'in case they should never find her. "'Mamma will stand in the door and look out into the dark and call and call, "'but her little Elise will never answer, "'and Allison and Kitty will feel so bad that they won't want to play. "'They'll divide my things between them to remember me by, "'and for a long time it'll make them cry whenever they see my dolls and books "'or my place at the table.' or my little wicker chair in the library that i'll never sit in any more ranald won't cry cause he's a captain and he's brave but he'll be just as sorry oh i wish ranald wasn't out in the country he could find me if he was at home it was growing colder and colder on the doorstep the child's teeth chattered and her lips were blue still she sat there until an evil-looking man in the next house slouched out onto the street with a lean spotted dog at his heels suddenly for no reason that elise could discover for she did not know that he was half drunk he turned and kicked the poor beast cursing it violently it shrank away yelping with pain seeing that the man was coming toward her elise sprang up in terror and with one frightened glance over her shoulder darted around the corner. Once out of his sight she stopped running, but fear kept her moving, and she walked wearily on and on. Every step carried her farther away from home. Through unwashed windows she could see the yellow lamplight streaming over dingy rooms. Most of the sights were unattractive, but in one house cleaner than the rest She saw a crowd of clamoring children seated around a supper table, all reaching their spoons and plates toward a big steaming platter in the middle. It reminded her that she was hungry herself, and she lingered a moment looking wistfully in at the cheerful scene. Then on she started again. Once she stumbled and fell in the slush of a snowy crossing, but scrambled bravely up again, walking on and on. Meanwhile Allison, Kitty, and the little Colonel, who had gone ahead in the carriage with the boys, had stopped at Klein's for a box of candy, and at a bookstore for a dissected game they had been discussing at the luncheon. When they reached Mrs. Walton's, Malcolm sent the carriage home, and both the boys went into the house with the girls. "'Tell Mamma we'll come upstairs in a few minutes, and tell her all about the carnival,' Said Alison to the maid who opened the door, the five children went into the library with their candy and game, and Mrs. Walton, busy with many letters, did not notice how Alison's few minutes lengthened out until it grew so dark that she had to lay down her pen as she did so. A carriage drove rapidly up to the house. Mrs. Moore hurried up the steps, and there was a hasty dialogue at the door between her and Alison mrs walton did not hear the frightened cry oh mamma elise is lost that went up from allison an impetuous kitty hearing no answer and feeling that she must summon help in some way began beating madly on the bell of so loosened as if she were trying to call out the whole fire department as the clangor startled her mrs walton's first thought was that the house must be on fire and she hurried out to the head of the stairs and looked over the banister kitty was still beating on the bells with an umbrella that she had snatched from the rack stop kitty she called tell me what is the matter elise is lost repeated allison and mrs walton with a white face hurried down to hear mrs moore's explanation she had been detained some time in the tenement house listening to the tale of woe that the sick baby's mother poured out to her but she had felt no uneasiness about elise knowing that the footstow in the carriage would keep her warm and comfortable when she came down to her utter amazement the carriage door stood open and the child was gone the sleepy coachman who roused himself from his cold doze when he heard her coming was as surprised as she, and declared he had not heard the carriage door open, or the child slip out. He had no idea what could have become of her. They made inquiries of people all along the block, but nobody had seen a child answering to the description of Elise. Then Mrs. Moore thought that the child must have grown tired of waiting, and for some reason had started to walk home. She had driven out to the house with the hope that she might find her there, or might overtake her on the way. Mrs. Walton acted quickly. "'Telephone to your father, Malcolm,' she cried, "'and to the police station. "'Oh, my poor baby, out in the cold streets with night coming on! "'I must look for her without losing a minute!' She started up the stairs to call Milly, help her dress for the search. "'Get my furs,' she called, "'and my heaviest coat. "'It will be a cold night.' but Malcolm stopped her. "'Don't go, Aunt Mary,' he cried. "'Papa is on his way here now, and we boys will go in your place. The policemen are being notified all over the city, and it will do more good for you to stay here ready to answer any questions that may come.' "'I'll wait until Mr. McIntyre comes,' said Mrs. Moore, so that I can take him straight back to that tenement district if he thinks best to go.' While they were still standing, an anxious little group in the hall, Mr. McIntyre came in, and after a hurried consultation, he and Mrs. Moore drove in one direction, and the boys started in another. None of them liked to remember the three hours that followed. The news spread like wildfire, and the telephone bell rang constantly with friendly messages. Each time they hoped that someone of the searching party was calling them up but each time they were disappointed at intervals one of the girls stole to the front door to look out into the night and listen every voice made them start every footstep every roll of carriage wheels along the avenue made them hold their breath in suspense until it had passed presently kitty leaving her mother at the telephone and allison and lloyd on the stairs Strolled down to the kitchen where Milly and the cook were talking about Charlie Ross and all the children they had ever heard of who had mysteriously disappeared from home. An it's just the likes of her they'd be after taking," said the cook, wiping her eyes. She was that pretty wid her long curls and eyes sparkling like black diamonds, an as what little mouth wid is small fit for a cherub i mind the very last time i saw her only this afternoon she come down here to show me her fine clothes she was wearing to the party there's no doubt in me mind but that somebody's stolen her on account of the same illigent clothes maybe they think there'll be a big reward offered bless the two little pink shoes of her it'll be a sorrow day for this house if they never come walking into it again kitty stole out of the kitchen cold with this new horror and went back to whisper it to allison and lloyd as they sat on the stairs ready to spring forward at the first sound of coming footsteps now if it had been allison who was lost thought mrs walton she could have found her way home without any difficulty she is such a sensible womanly child always to be trusted for doing the right thing in the right place kitty might not act so wisely but she would bang ahead and come out all right in the end she's the kind one might expect to see come home in almost any style from a coal-cart to a triumphal car but my baby elise is so little and so timid my heart aches for her she will be so sorely frightened dinner was put on the table and carried out again nobody could eat And as the moments dragged by, the girl still sat on the stairs, and the anxious mother sprang to the telephone at every tinkle of the bell, praying for a hopeful message from the police station. Elise, stumbling on down strange streets, exhausted, hungry, and cold, stopped on a street corner and looked around her. She had strayed down among the warehouses now, and the little feet, numb with cold, were too tired to go much farther down here few people were passing a big tobacco warehouse looming up tall and dark above her made her feel so tiny and lost that the last bit of her courage ebbed away and she began to sob aloud out of the shadow just ahead a man was coming toward her so tall and broad-shouldered he looked that he seemed a giant to her terrified eyes she put her little gloved hands over her eyes to shut out the sight and crouched close against the wall her baby heart fluttering like a frightened bird's on he came with slow heavy tread his footsteps ringing through the silent street with a strange metallic echo as he passed out from the black shadow of the warehouse into the light of the street crossing elise peeped between her fingers again and then smiled through her tears it was a big burly policeman the next instant she was running toward him calling oh mr policeman i'm lost please take me home it was a safe haven she had run into the policeman had just come from home to go on his beat and in a little cottage not many blocks away were three children who were still in his thoughts they had followed him to the door to swarm over him and kiss him and had called after him down the snowy street. "'Good night, Daddy!' The childish voices were still ringing in his ears. As tenderly as if she had been one of his own, he lifted Elise in his strong fatherly arms, wiped her tear-stained face, and began to question her. She told him her name, but in her confusion could not remember the name of the street where she lived. It was the work of only a moment to carry her into a drugstore around the corner, ring up headquarters, and report his discovery. And it was only a few moments after that, until they were on an electric car, homeward bound. Elise was not the first lost child the big, tender-hearted policeman had taken home. But he had never had such a royal welcome as the one that awaited him in the hall when the joyful family met him he glanced around him curiously seeing on every side the relics of victorious battlefields the grim weapons of warfare that stood as mute witnesses of a brave soldier's life beyond in the library he caught a glimpse of the portrait the flag and the sword and then suddenly realized in whose presence he stood don't mention it madam he said awkwardly as the grateful mother tried to express her thanks don't you know that this is about the proudest moment of my life to know that it was his little one i found and brought back with her arms around my neck i read everything there was about him in the papers he nodded toward the portrait and i always did say he was exactly my idea of a hero but i never thought the day would come when i'd stand in his house and see all the things he touched and looked at that's the way everybody seems to feel about the general thought the little colonel glancing from the blue-coated policeman to the portrait it's grand to be a hero elise was too tired and sleepy to talk about her adventures that night and asked to be put to bed as soon as she had had the bowl of oyster soup that was being kept hot for her when the cook brought it in loudly blessing all the saints in the calendar that the child had been found all the family remembered that they were hungry and the long-delayed dinner was brought on again elise fell asleep at the table before she finished the soup but she opened her drowsy eyes as they were carrying her away to bed to say you all won't feel very bad will you if i give you just a teenty weenty christmas present this year cause i want to save most of my money to buy something nice for that big policeman that brought me home being found is the very best thing in all the world and i would have been lost yet if it hadn't been for him end of chapter 13 read by lars rolander